Hi there, and welcome back to the final episode of the Us Now podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Helmendaller. In Us Now, I talk about a range of different social issues with students and faculty from Louisa County High School. Before we begin, if you'd like to support this project, Us Now's Instagram at Us Now Podcast is where I give updates for new episodes. Also, if you'd like to give constructive feedback for me, I would love for you to fill out the form uh, in the description. Thank you in advance. So for the last episode, we're talking about racism and discrimination. Once again, we have four guests. Couldn't you introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Dan Sanchez. I am the instrumental music director here at Louisa County High School. My name is Elijah Tamimi, and I'm a sophomore at Louisa County High School. I'm Todd Ryan. I'm the school counseling director here at this high school. My name is Alex Washington, and I'm a senior here at LCHS. Great. Thank you. So this episode focuses on discrimination based on race, but it is worthy to note that there are many other aspects of social identity by which people can be discriminated against as a result. So like gender, gender identity, religion, age, disability, etc., etc. So first I want to talk about like the different types of racism. And so um, I think that a lot of us will define them differently, and even like official organizations will define them differently. I took these definitions from the uh, site Intergroup Resources. So the first kind is interpersonal racism, and this is racism in between individuals, which I think it kind of said that it's the most obvious form of racism. Like if you see someone, like someone makes a comment, you can obviously point that out as prejudice, and you can obviously point that out as racism. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that would be most common in. I mean, um, I guess just on the street or like just, you know, anywhere. So the second, yeah, like, <laughs> do you think you would agree with that? Like, it's just. Yeah, that's like kind of the more obvious one. Yeah. If someone just says like a term or something like that's known mm-hmm. to racism. So. Right. Yeah. So the second one is one that I think has been in the news more recently or has gotten more attention recently, and that's institutional racism. So uh, intergroup resources uh, defines it as, quote, institutional and cultural practices that perpetuate racial inequality, end quote. And so this means it's kind of designed to benefit the majority group. So for example, it'd be like in the 1800s, like Jim Crow laws, um, redlining, which is denying basic resources to areas with racial minorities. Um, And so this one, institutional racism kind of gets confused with the next one, but institutional is kind of like laws and just society in general, just kind of against it. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Can you think of any other examples? I mean, now I would think that there's less of that for sure. Like we don't really have Jim Crow laws, but definitely people still say that it it exists in society. I'm curious because I might be confusing this with a completely different type, Mm -hmm. but I've heard people say when they try to get jobs that sometimes it it's harder at yeah, this yeah, point. Yeah. I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but this is just something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one kind of falls under the next one, which I, I found it interesting that there are those different kinds. I kind of just put institutional racism, like everything with jobs and with society under that one umbrella. Yeah, so the next one is called structural racism, or also called systemic racism, which is what I've heard it called more often. And that is, quote, joint operations of institutions produce uh, racialized outcomes, even in the absence of racial intent. So that kind of means, like, um, you know, getting a job or different institutions are saying that 
like maybe not on purpose, but there's still um, there's still some prejudice and maybe like getting a job or um, how they treat different employees. So yeah, and examples of that would be power dynamics or unequal access to opportunities. And so this last one, um, I found it most interesting, internalized racism. So negative feelings about one's own race or culture. And like I did a paper on this in sociology with international adoptees, how often like an international adoptee or like transracial adoptee will come into their family and they'll kind of feel like they're um, inferior because they're in an environment that doesn't really accept them and they just kind of feel like they're not accepted within their own culture. So those are the definitions of racism. Are there any like questions? Like, I mean, I found it really interesting. I didn't know that there were that many different ones. So what was the one before the when that was like personal? Um, yeah. So the the individual racism. The individual. Yeah. So the one about that was like, especially, especially like with jobs and everything. So I don't feel nowadays it's really prejudice. It's more like. You grow up around people usually who are of your color, of your like ethnicity, right? Mm -hmm. So when you grow up, that's who you're comfortable with. You know how they are, and when you get into businesses, like you know who you're comfortable with. So when you're an owner of a multi-billion-dollar company, you're gonna want someone you're comfortable with running that company. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's more of like people aren't really interacting where, say, I'm black and you're. Latina, Hispanic. Hispanic. So, if he's Hispanic, you know, he might be leaning more towards, like, not knowingly, just consciously, like, leaning towards another Hispanic where he knows, like, their background and how they run things. Whereas, like, Mm -hmm. me, I might be leaning towards someone who looks like me because they're more comfortable with that. So, it's more like you have to break those type of barriers first, where it's not really, like, racism. It's just, like, consciously or unconsciously, like, making decisions off of like how comfortable you are with certain people and it's like you can have the same you can have the same like uh resume and then when you go to meet them it's like whoever you feel more comfortable with so i feel like that kind of plays a factor into it i don't know if you know this is kind of the segue in the conversation that you wanted to kind of enlist it but i think one of the things you said that I, I really resonated with me it was like putting yourself in situations that are somewhat uncomfortable intentionally you know I think right. that's a very difficult thing to do is to walk in somewhere where you're the only one or the only small group of, of folks that may look like you or, or sound like you um, and how difficult that is and how the confidence to do that but also kind of the the hesitation to do that because it, it is uncomfortable and there's a lot of things that make people uncomfortable but to your point of of you're going to either employ with or um, employ or, or uh, kind of socialize with people that have a lot of things in common those things will only become in common the more you're around people that are not the same as you, right? right. So like, it's just kind of like this, this kind of a give and take is, is how do you do that? Well, it takes some leaps of faith and some mm-hmm. kind of, and some stressful situations and some uncomfortable situations sometimes, but we can probably all agree, and, and maybe this is kind of where we're going with this, that that's an important thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And right. it certainly is, is you know, the, the beauty of, of where we've come with some of the things you mentioned, Jenny, we still have a long way to go, but you know, we have a, a multicultural society, um, you know, um, different races, different genders, and people that, that are around trying to make at least what we're talking about here, Louisa County High School work, and how does that how does that lead into Louisa, Virginia, you know, and, and the United States? So, yeah. 
an important topic, but I think a good a good starting point is you, you have to take some leaps of faith and, and maybe get out of your comfort zone sometimes, right? You know, mm -hmm. to make that happen. Yeah, gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I mean, I was going to say, like, the um, roots of racism, yeah, you're totally right, Alex, it comes from, like, not being familiar with something, and, you know, you can't really, I mean, of course, racism isn't excusable, but it's kind of understandable in that, like, you're going to be comfortable with people that you're more familiar with, and I think that's um, such a benefit that we have of coming from Louisa County, like, this is the only high school in the county, so we have everyone and I know I just took sociology so I keep talking about that but um, there are a lot of places that are kind of still like socially segregated because um, it'll be one district except there will be like where the line is it'll be almost all of one race in one school all of one race in another school and that's not you know they're growing up and they're not really having that diversity so it's kind of I saw it's a lot of that. that when I was in Virginia Beach there was about like seven eight middle schools in this one city uh -huh. And you could see like the difference between going like the middle school I was zoned for Bayside. It's a lot of people like me. It's very similar. And then I go to the IB Plaza, completely different. Mm -hmm. There's like four black people in the, in the academy. Yeah. And it's like putting. It wasn't difficult. It's just it was different. Like seeing like yeah. how it's like two miles away. Yeah. It's like the same how neighborhood. That different? Yeah. And it, it's just stuff like that. Like you wouldn't even know until like you end up mm -hmm. experiencing. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So now um, we're going to move on to like usage of language. So a lot of people will say that actions speak louder than words. And I think that's, you know, that's true to an extent, but it doesn't mean that words can't hurt us. So um, I know Mr. Sanchez, like, of course, we all are in the high school setting, but you working with um, the band students, which are, you know, a pretty diverse group of people. Um, what have you really seen? How could be the effects of words like what is the importance of that oh yeah I mean words are hugely important and I think it's something that we don't reinforce often enough in a high school setting um, I see it in my classes all the time where students will just say things to say things mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of students when I challenge them with 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 questions or, or, or suggestions of how to better comport themselves um, I've heard this even within the last couple of weeks, like they're just words, like words are arbitrary, they don't have meaning. Um, and in a sense, sure, that's true. Like, you know, the alphabet's in no particular order. Someone just decided it and it's arbitrary. And yeah, when you say the word tree, a tree is conjured into your head because that's how language functions. But um, especially with, with racially charged language, um, we have really strong emotional responses. Um, and I just think it's really important that we're careful with our language because this is such a deep, deeply rooted and, and like for our country, it's such a, a hugely important topic that we, we shouldn't ignore and, and being careful with our language and not being flippant with our language, I think is really important. Um, it doesn't always come in the, the form of like using a racial slur. Like that's really obvious. That's an easy thing to point out and say, hey, that's, don't do that. That's not okay. You cannot mm -hmm. call that person that person. I had an experience in college um, where uh, my roommate was um, from upstate New York um, and was from a very um, whitewashed society and like he used a, a term that I will not say and it, it wasn't really even something that I had heard throughout growing up other than like you know from from seeing it in media from propaganda in like the 1940s and 50s and it wasn't you know it didn't make me cringe or anything but, but I had to tell him like you know, we'll say his name was John like hey John like 
this this word you're using is actually like racially charged. Mm-hmm. It means this thing, and he didn't he didn't even know that. He just grew up yeah. in a culture where it was accepted, right. um, because you know the people that 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 term referred to just weren't present in his society and culture, mm-hmm. and so it was one of those things where it becomes very um, challenging to look someone in the face uh, when you are you know using language that that is charged against them. Um, and, and again, that's a, that's a really obvious way to look at language. I think maybe one of the, all of, all of these issues are nuanced. Um, we don't, you know, we don't have the Jim Crow laws that, that, right. that we had decades ago um, that were to our eyes now obviously wrong. Um, but to look at something with, with lots of nuance and, and, and to, to be careful the way we're speaking about people. Um, you know, I think it's important to engage with people that are different than you. And sometimes like, you know, Sometimes students don't know that I'm Hispanic um, because it doesn't come across as obvious in my speech and they don't make the connection with, with my last name. Um, and there have been times where someone has said something culturally insensitive to the Latino population. Um, and I've had to you know, tell them, hey, like, what you okay. said is not okay. Right. You know, the, the language you're using, um, you might think it's harmless, but it makes me feel a certain way. And I'm a pretty tolerant person, so I know that it's gonna make someone else have a, a much stronger emotion. Because I've been pretty fortunate in my life in terms of you know not being segregated or discriminated against, but but I recognize and I can see in other people that that not just you know not just actions, not just the laws, not just you know all the things that that we're talking about in terms of definition, but but yeah, language is hugely important. Mm-hmm. I'm repeating myself so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like growing up, I, yeah, like you, I'm, I've been really fortunate enough to not be discriminated against. And like I, it's been a really nice community. But growing up there, have definitely been moments where I could see that maybe someone just didn't know. Like I, in middle school, there'd be people, you know, like posting online, and a, a common thing. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the word, but like chink. So now I think a lot of people know that that's not a good word. But in like middle school or even like uh, late elementary school, I'd see people posting and saying like, haha, chink eyes or like I look so Asian today. And it's kind of like, OK, I mean, oh, that's not really. Not yeah, it's not really that it's not funny. And it's not I mean, I don't know, because we seem to have a culture now where it's sort of like um, if you don't laugh at it or if you can't take the joke, then you're just no fun. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, and it's to a certain point, I think it's necessary to have some tolerance, of course, but that doesn't really make it okay. And it doesn't mean that the person isn't really hurt by it. And I know what you're saying mean by that, because, like, especially nowadays, it's like a weird society, because mm-hmm. at one point, it's like everyone's, like, very sensitive, and you can't say the wrong thing in front of someone. But at the same time, we have, like, meme pages who are saying this stuff and it's like you're hiding behind a mask and it's like in real life that person nine out of ten times probably wouldn't say it to you but on Instagram they have a whole page where they're saying all these things and it's like in hindsight it's funny but at the same time it's like no is, is, is it really okay mm-hmm. like you're laughing at it but like you like you think to yourself sometimes you even say it like oh that's kind of messed up but it's kind of funny so it's like where do you like cross that mm-hmm. line like no like we shouldn't be laughing at this and then go in here and say, this is okay, so. It's, it's weird, because I like see it as, you're not allowed to be offended by this, you're not allowed to not laugh at, at this joke, because it's just a joke. It's like, no, I'm not laughing at it, because I 
not only am I offended by it, it's just not funny to begin with. Yeah. If you would have made it at least funny, I could have, like, <laughs> almost let you slide. But mm-hmm. it wasn't funny to begin with. Yeah. And, like, in class and stuff, I'll, I'll hear people say, like, maybe some kind of joke that's kind of racist. And I, and I kind of, like, maybe chuckle, and I'm kind of like, well, am I chuckling because I'm really uncomfortable? Right. Or because, like, right. I actually is like, haha, that's sort of funny, or, like, that's kind of not okay. So it's just an awkward situation to be in, for sure. And, and I, I, I think with regards to that, Jenny, I think sometimes the, you know, silence is also, like, it, sometimes it seems like, like um, something's okay. Like, if, if, you mm-hmm. don't, if you don't stand up and say, that's, that's, I'm not, that's not right, then the silence might be seen as, as approval. Mm-hmm. Right? right, so that becomes very difficult too, particularly in a, in a friend group. Um, you know, of, of you're like, well, this is really uncomfortable. This is really inappropriate. You know, I'm really offended by this, but I don't know how to how to say that to someone either that I'm friends with or I'm not friends with. So how how do I do that? And if I don't do it, is my silence saying, okay, you know, is my silence saying a lot? And I think mm-hmm. sometimes, particularly in difficult, you know, conversations and things that are uncomfortable, silence does say a lot because. It's interpreted as well. They're going along with this. Must not must not offend them too much, or must not right. hurt their feelings too much, because they're not they're not saying anything about it. Um, and I think part of that is because, particularly things related to racism, and discrimination, people get they're very. It's a tough thing to talk about. It's mm-hmm. tough to look across at a friend or someone that you don't know and say that's not right, that's wrong. Right. Um, I'm really offended by that. Truly, can you can you talk to me more? That's a hard couple steps to take. Mm-hmm. Um, where we are, I think, anytime. Um, you know, whether you're 48 or 16, mm-hmm. got it right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah, and so it, the thing about words is also that they persist for such a long time, um, such as, you know, like you see celebrities in the news getting in trouble for things they said 10 years ago, right. and you're kind of wondering to yourself, like, mm, sh- sh- am I letting them slide in my mind? Because, you know, yes, it was 10 years ago, but also, yes, they were hurtful. So it's kind of a question of whether or not um, those racist ideas can persist for that long, and if people really truly learn from their mistakes. I mean, in my opinion, yeah, of course they can learn over this period of 10 years, but it also depends on how you handle it when that kind of news comes out. Right. So, yeah, do you have any thoughts on, like, when, I don't know, when you see a celebrity that said something on Twitter 10 years ago, but they're saying, oh, no, that, that was a different person. Different, different yeah. <laughs> I saw something. This wasn't a celebrity. But in my sports marketing class about, like, September, we're talking, and there was this guy at a college football game. He said, I want to buy a six-pack of beer. This is my Venmo. And he gets about millions. He gets, like, a million dollars. And he donates most of this to the child's school right across the uh, college football stadium and only buys that six-pack. And then the beer company's like, you know what? We're going to give you a lifetime sponsorship. Then, some, then this article guy brings up something that he said when he was, like, 14 that was, like, tipped on the line a little bit so the company takes away their sponsorship and it, it was just weird because of how punished he was for something that he said when he was 14 and it wasn't kid, like, and he's just a kid and it wasn't that it wasn't like he was blatantly trying to do he was just trying to be edgy and funny so it, it was weird I didn't I didn't know how to react so I'm like that shit's wrong but it's like how should they react and that's the thing like and nowadays like everything you, you post anything it's going to be there forever so it's like it's scary especially like when we have kids like we have to train them like you just can't say certain stuff and it's going to evolve like to even more stuff because as times are changing it's like stuff that people could say like 10 years ago you can't say now but stuff that was said 10 years ago people are saying now like it's not a problem and it's like 
you don't really know what they say. So it's like a lot of times you just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be that guy or that girl who says no when everyone else is cool with it. So you sit there, like you're saying, in silence. And it's like you don't really accept, but you don't really want to. It's like it's not not that deep. Yeah. So it's like it's 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 hard. Mm -hmm. You could like really see that when you go to like a YouTube video from 2012. Like just go listen to those Modern Warfare two chat rooms. Those were horrible, (laughs) and that was just allowed. That was those were viral. And then if anyone even attempted to say that in a video today, that's just taken down like two seconds after it's uploaded. And I think that speaks to the complexity of the issue too, because you mentioned earlier words and actions, you know, and and how kind of uh, you get a bit of a here's a big word cognitive dissonance when you hear things from people and they act a different way, right? Mm -hmm. And and that part I think is really hard to kind of navigate. Um, You know, I'm like I said, I'm 48 years old. I I should make you know fewer mistakes, right, than than Alex because I'm older than him, right? And, and my kids, who, my young nine-year-old daughter, can make lots of mistakes. So as you, as you mature as a person, you, you kind of just understand life more, and you kind of understand your, your place in this and how, how you fit into a bigger scheme of things. So, um, you know, to your point of, like, when someone says something 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, um, you know, my, my thoughts when I see that is what's happened, what happened, and what's happened since then. Um, and, that, you know, and that's the I, – I try to understand that because I don't – ever want to say that that was a, a correct thing to say but I also recognize that when someone's 14 or someone's 12 or 9 or 22 in college um, the opportunities present themselves to, to do stupid things and again we should do few I don't use the word stupid but like we should do fewer silly things as we get older um, and not that they're accepted when we're younger but learning from those things and then seeing what that person's actions are over uh, a sustained period of time mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. that makes sense it's like you wouldn't punish. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. go ahead. You wouldn't punish a five-year-old. Like you know how blunt little kids are. Right. right. <laughs> if I even attempted to say some of the things I said to my mom as a five-year-old, just like, cause you say what you think, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have a distinct memory, and I'll, I'll, you know, put myself out there as a. I don't know if I was five or six or seven, but I was young, um, and I remember. Uh, we were walking in the front door, my dad and I were, and uh, a, a black gentleman was walking down the, since we're you know, having this podcast about um, racial discrimination, and, and my five, six, seven-year-old self, you know, when you're that old and you're in school, you're taught to separate blocks by color. You're taught to discriminate things by shape or size, and so I was doing the natural thing for a child to, to do when I said the words out loud, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I referred to the, the guy walking down the street as brown. Right. I said, that brown guy. My dad was horrified, mortified, offended, uh, sent me inside. I think he went across the street and apologized to the guy. Like, I, I didn't raise a racist child. Like, and he came in, and we had that hard conversation about, like, it was hard for me because I, I didn't you know that understand. I did anything wrong. Right. I didn't understand, and my dad had to sit me down. And, and my dad was a victim of discrimination when he moved to the States from Puerto Rico when he was a young man. So we had to have that conversation of, you know, what you said is not technically incorrect. You know, the words that you used weren't wrong, but the context is hugely important. You know, you shouldn't refer to a human by simply the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it was a perfect stranger. And so there's the other side of it where, like, don't go up and shake hands with a perfect stranger when you're a five-year-old. You know, it, 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 it's that fine line you're talking about. Right. How do you balance on that tightrope? 
And I think with younger students, now high schoolers are getting closer and closer to adulthood, so, so we need to hold ourselves to higher standards, but there also needs to be room for failure. There needs to be room for correction. That's what teachers do a lot of times. Like, I spend a lot of my time correcting behavior in class, and as much as I would like to focus 100% of my time on teaching music, you know, we, we live in a world where, you know, humans aren't perfect. And so we strive to that ideal, whatever that is, for each person. But, but we have to have room for, um, for error and correction, but also have, like, a, I don't know if a stringent policy, policy is, is the right word to use, but, like, we have to hold each other accountable to not let other people say the wrong thing. Right. Um, and with, with language, since we're talking about that, that changes over time. Right. Um, I, Elijah, you mentioned something about, um, like, the Modern Warfare 2 chat rooms or whatever in that specific oh, okay. example. But, <laughs> but if you look back to 10 years ago or however many years ago, like, I think that's a, an interesting reflection of culture in that, like, that was tolerated to an extent in yeah. those chat rooms. Now, those people probably didn't think that they were going to be all over YouTube and that like their gamer tags were going to be traced back to individuals, and, and maybe maybe they were hiding behind that veneer of like that that anonymous personality. Um, and now you know the culture has shifted in, in such a way that like we've got pretty. I mean, I know this this episode is not about censorship, but like there's a lot of censoring going on when content is put on the internet right. for those reasons. That's that's a very strong reaction against what was happening ten years ago, yeah. and so. I think that's an interesting reflection of culture, maybe, where 10 years ago something might have been tolerated and now we have this sort of culture of, of intolerance, but, but that culture is a reflection of our behavior, I think. Right. And so maybe the broader question that's being asked or addressed in this podcast is like, I wonder if it's not as helpful to address culture head on, but rather focus inward, focus in on our, our friend groups or the people that we encounter with, because yeah, like... It's not going to fix 100,000 people if you go up to your friend and say, that's not okay. Right. Or can you please help me understand why you use that language? Um, and then that person realizes, oh, probably shouldn't use that language. But if enough people do that, then slowly over time, like a glacier moving across a landmass, like culture can change, even though it takes that time. You know, We right. like having that quick fix. How can we, what's the magic word we can say to make people stop being racist? <laughs> no one's yeah. no one's encountered that. I don't think it exists. Yeah, I think a lot of that. So, I like what you said. Like when your dad, he gave you a conversation, and with the glacier over the landmass, a lot of that is some people ten years ago weren't getting that conversation, at least until they were adults. So when they're adults, they're already fixed in. Like, no, this is how it's brought up, and nowadays it's all over media. Like no, you can't say this, no, you can't say that. You have to think like this or you can't think like that or else, like, you're a bad person. So I feel like that's how it's kind of evolving even more to where a lot more people at a younger age are getting a conversation where, like, you can't say these racial slurs. And so, like, that's where you see a lot of change. And it's also a kind of change in how you discriminate because you can't be open with it. And if you're being raised a certain way, which sadly some people still are, so it's like, you're being raised a certain way, and you know sometimes you just can't be open with it. You kind of slide it in as a joke. And some people, it honestly is a joke, but sometimes it's like, that's how you're raised. So like, a factor with that is, say, like with the presidents today, like if you ask a student who do they like, who they don't like, they can probably tell you it's probably gonna be a Republican or a Democrat. But if you ask them why, 
nine times out of ten, they probably can't even tell you. They just go off what their parents are saying or their guardians are saying. And it's like, well, why? Like, why do you like Trump? Or why do you don't like Obama? Or why do you like Obama? And it's like, that's why, me personally, I try to stay out of politics because I know if I don't have a deeper understanding, I'm not going to say, oh, I like you, oh, I dislike you. I say I want a deeper understanding before I get into it because I'm not going to base my judgment off of people around me if I don't know myself. So that's like, I think that's one of the issues. People like, when they're raised, because it's easy to do that. Like, if you don't know any better and you are always around your parents and they tell, this is how they believe, so you're like, oh, well, this is how I should believe. So it's like, then you go into an open environment and you say that, but you really don't know what you're saying. Yeah, like Mr. Sanchez, I think it's such a good thing that you were able to have that conversation so young. Mm -hmm. And I think that reflects a lot about like your father and I right. mean, even you as a person to be able to have that conversation. And like, I, I don't know if that was, you know, like the only like conversation you ever needed to have about it, but just <laughs> the fact that, you know, like you had it that young and you had it set in you that young that it's not okay. And I think a lot of people will grow up and think that it's not okay because they just never really have that experience. Right. So yeah, the, like going off of that, are there any, you know, personal experiences you, that you think have shaped you in terms of race? <laughs> I mean, I guess personally, yeah, like in, <laughs> you're, you're like looking at me. Yeah, I mean, in elementary school for me, um, again, I didn't really have a lot, but I think that definitely little elementary schoolers, they don't really, they don't understand what all right. the implications are. So there are some moments, like people would ask me sometimes, like, do you live in China? Or like, why, why are your eyes like that? Or, it's, you know, stuff like that. Like, I know that they didn't understand, but also it's kind of like, uh... I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And it's different also for me because I was raised by white parents. So it is, I never really experienced like, you know, the self revulsion that I'm, I think that some people do, which is horrible, but, um, I, I at least have that kind of experience of seeing multiple sides of it. But yeah. What about you? Uh, I know me. So like, this is kind of more of a, like a white town for being honest. So I was usually, because I went to Trevelyan's, well, we went to Trevelyan's with me, so I was usually one of the only black kids in, like, honors classes, and we did tag, so I was literally the only black kid, so I kind of had to, like, evolve and, like, adapt, so, like, I felt like I was two different people at one point, because at school, I was one person, and then when I go play football, like, travel ball, it's, like, all black people, so... It's like I'm two different people, I'm, it's two different cultures. And that kind of shaped me to who I am today, to where I'm kind of open to everyone because I've been like thrown in the mix with like different types of people. So it's like, I've kind of been open, but to where someone else might have only grew up with white people or only grew up with black people. Like I've had people ask me, is this your real hair? And at first I'm like, what? Why would you ask that? Like, why would you ask that? But then I'm like, you wouldn't know so it's like, I can't really be mad, and you're asking the question. So it's like, yeah, it's my real hair. And it's like, you if you can take that step and ask, then that kind of shows that you're open. So, but yeah, it's like, I kind of feel how you feel, like, mm -hmm. growing up being, like, the only one. But yours is definitely, like, bigger, because... Well, I mean, not necessarily, because you have the experience of, like, having two different things. But for me, I was raised by white parents, and, like, since Louisa is, like, you know, like, the classes that I take right. are majority white. Right. I mean, I, like, that's kind of the only thing I do know. 
Um, I think in this county, I think there is a good sense of diversity, but I will say, like, I think the Asian American population is statistically lower than the national average, which, you know, it's like, you know, not a good thing or bad thing, but yeah, I don't really interact with people who look like me on a daily basis. Right. So, yeah, it's just a different experience. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm, I think looking back and I've, I've had conversations with my mom and dad about this. My dad joined the Navy out of high school and my mom has never been to college and, and, um, came from a pretty uh, impoverished area in Southern Maryland. Um, we lived on Navy bases growing up. Um, and, you know, so it was a very diverse community of, of folks that I grew up in. I, I spent most of my time at Virginia Beach from uh, elementary, upper elementary, middle school, and high school. Um, and my high school was, was really diverse. And it was part of that. I asked my mom and dad about this, and it, and it was really kind of, you know, I didn't understand this until I asked them, but they were very intentional. They said they were very intentional about putting my sister and I in a school that had a lot of diverse, that was diverse. And this is pretty forward thinking for, I mean, this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, but to do that, because that's that's how the world is, and that's how the world was. And I have a distinct memory of, of you know, a very specific thing that, that for me shaped a lot of kind of my thoughts as, a, as, a, as just a human being. And um, so, and I was thinking about this yesterday when getting ready for this podcast. It's like, you know, when I was in fifth grade, my best friend's name was Quince Griffin. Okay, maybe you'll hear this podcast, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and... I remember being on the bus, and we were on the bus, and we were getting off the bus, and a kid we didn't know called him the N-word, okay? Um, and I remember looking at Quince, and he, his face dropped, and he, he was sobbing, crying. I was good friends with Quince. I had been to Quince's house. I knew his dad, knew his brother, knew his mom. And I, didn't, I had never heard of that term before. I had no kind of frame of reference for what that meant. All I knew, though, was that this word affected him that, that much and I was so mad you know and I, like I've never I've 40 years old never been in a fight okay and that was the closest I ever did because I was so mad at this person for doing that to my friend um, you know so we walked home together and and um, you know got him home we, you know we were kind of talking about that and so I get to my house and I asked my dad and my mom I was like what, what does that mean right what does that word mean and why would someone say that and why do you think you know my friend Quince reacted that way you know and I just remember like it was it was like you know, that, that is a word that we don't use in our family, okay? That you will, you will not use. Um, and it's, it's, it's not a kind word to say to anybody. Um, but I just remember that very viscerally in my lifetime in fifth grade and my friend and his reaction to being called something by someone that didn't know him and didn't care about him and didn't love him. So, like, I think about those experiences and, and that exist still today, you know, for, for young people and for people that aren't, aren't young. Um, and how much of a reaction they have internally and how that really frames how you see the world and how you see other people. Uh, you guys know me well enough to know that I'm an optimist and I love everybody. Uh, but it really saddens me that that is sometimes the experience of, of folks, whether it's in this school or in this world, that have experiences like that. And for me, it, it, did, it, it framed a lot for understanding about you know, um, you know, being intentional about what I do um, personally, and also now that I'm a father, being intentional about what we do with, with regards to that. Anyway, maybe more than you wanted, but there, there it is. Do you have any? Yeah, so for sure, um, personal experiences really shape who we are. Um, you know, whether it's just a lot of small things or if it's one really huge thing that's affected you, it's, it's certainly it's there, and it's probably shaped your personality personally. Um, I think it changes our view of how we see others. So even if we weren't personally 
torn by something that someone said to us, we can still at least say that, okay, what they said was not okay, so I'm going to watch what I say now. And I think that's, you know, just as important, and if not, even more help. It's, it's more helpful, yeah. So not understanding racism as younger children, do you think there's a certain point in time where racism is inexcusable? Like, I don't, I wouldn't say that there's a certain line, but I don't know if as you get older, the maturity level goes up. Is there a certain kind of point in your life where if you say something insensitive, it's going to be like, you're, you're going to get, I don't know, the terms canceled, you're, <laughs> the terms of the day. <laughs> I don't know. That's hard. Yeah. It's kind of hard. Cause because people mature at different levels mm-hmm. and the people around you like also affect that too, so. That's hard. It's basically when you get exposed to it, you just have to have someone there to tell you, like, this is not okay. And the quicker that happens and the quicker, like, you go with that, I feel like if someone if someone tells you that's not okay and you continue to do it, then that's on you. But it was like, you don't know it's not okay. Like, that's, that's weird because some people could not know that's not okay and they be grown men or grown women. So it's like, it's weird. And, you know, Alex, I guess I'm just, my, it is, it's really kind of troubling that some people don't know that's not okay. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's like, how, how can you not, how can you not recognize that, that saying things that are hateful not or mean is, is, is not wrong, right? You know, like this, right. It's like, how does that work? It's like the mind is really weird about that. Like, you know, and then, so, you know, that's a whole kind of another level of, of kind of, issue here but like how someone could say that and not feel a any type of anything inside you know and, and I think um, you know in the profession that I'm in you know and, and working with people I, I do know that people that are hurting on the inside tend to be hurt, hurt people on the outside right hurting people hurt people so um, you know that doesn't make excuse any behavior but I also it gives me sometimes insight into people who are that hateful and spiteful and mean there's got to be something going on inside for them to act that way on the outside I find it, it's weird, because based on the question you said, like, is there a point of, like, where this is just inexcusable? And I feel like it's not really a point. It's, like, depends on your situation. Let's say you, you're on the Internet all the time. You know there's certain things you don't say, and you know saying these things will get you a negative reaction, and then you go out and do it. Then it's, like, I, I want to say I forgive, but I can't. Mm-hmm. It's, like, you knew this was wrong. You see this happen to other people, then you just go along and do it because you were mad. That I don't see it. Control your emotions enough to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. So, and I think that's important. Like, so in class now, um, I don't really see a ton of it. I mean, I tune out a lot of people when I'm like focusing, but right. um, <laughs> I think a lot of times that people will just make jokes with each other and we've talked about this kind of earlier as well but when people make jokes with each other and it's sort of not an okay joke but everyone's kind of making those jokes so then maybe it is an okay joke and so I see that a lot where it's kind of like I should not be laughing at this but also you know like everyone else is kind of laughing at it do they really believe what they're saying and that's what I kind of worry sometimes when I see people making these kind of it varies like you know kind of a little bit racist or not even just racism but anything just kind of offensive even like a little bit or like ooh that definitely wasn't okay but just you know you're hearing that and you're kind of like well do they actually believe that or are they 
are they continuing to repeat these jokes to the point where they believe it? So, I mean, I think that's pretty interesting, too. Um, so, yeah, and we do also see that, Elijah, in the media. So discrimination in the media, I think you said that um, people who are on the Internet, they kind of have less of an excuse if they see that a certain thing isn't okay. But also that I think that there are certain sects of the Internet that do excuse that. Yeah. And it depends, you know, it's like the same way with family, where you grow up and... Um, wherever you grow up or wherever you put your stake in the internet, like whatever you see, that's kind of going to be what your viewpoint is eventually. So the next question is, are we improving in terms of racism? I definitely think if you compare, it's hard to say we haven't improved. Uh There's, there's been a big improvement, but it's nowhere near being perfect. So it's like, we can't just be complacent in saying it's improved. We can, Stop worrying about it. It's improved. We're just going to let it coast by. No, you got to consciously, like, keep putting forth effort to improve it further. But also, at the same time, don't, like, make this your entire, like, life just to be like, that's racist. Don't do that. And just be on the Internet looking for someone to be racist just to tell them they're racist. (laughs) It's like, try to improve, but don't put too much. And at the same time, don't put too little. It's like a weird middle area. I think if you look at like the general trend over the last several decades, um, especially when you're looking at a time in our country's history where there were pieces of legislature written in to discriminate against people of, of minorities, um, when you look at it in those more objective terms over time, then the trend is is getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you really zoom in on like different seasons of the last, whether it's a couple of months or a couple of years, um, whether you want to look at it in terms of, you know, presidential terms or um, other terms within like the Senate or House of Representatives, if you want to look at it from a political standpoint, or if you want to look at it from like a decade standpoint in terms of society and culture, then there's a a great deal of fluctuation um, where someone who, who in their heart is is a person who discriminates against people because of race, you know, gets on a Twitter account or or gets their face on um, some some form of like television media, and and they either were never told that what they're doing is is not okay or or they vehemently disagree. They they are in fact feeling you know strong forms of racism. They they get that airtime or that media time, um, and it. It kind of like you get this weird um, dip in the graph of like people feel like it's oh no it's okay to to use this language right. when we have over the course of the last ten years kind of squashed it and then all of a sudden it it, it, it crops back up for a little bit right. and then it, it, there's it just there just seems to be a lot of fluctuation in terms of like if you look at a, a, a short term um, like if you were to change the graph to like the last ten years versus the last hundred years I think the last hundred years you'd see a very um, very trend, trending upwards, trending better. Um, but within the last you know, 10, 20 years, if you pinpoint like a, a couple of months or a couple of years, it, it's just very volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different expectations or allowances given to people. Um, and we, we see that today when, when celebrities, you know, five or 10 years ago, a picture shows up and they're, they're dressed in a certain way that's, that, that is not okay it's it's just it's it's portraying a race in a negative fashion um, 
and you kind of think like, well, I mean, no one, who, who told them that was okay? Right. Like at this point in our, our, our culture and, and where we have progressed in terms of society, it, it fr- frankly, when we talk about the question that you asked, Jenny, it does make me frustrated because it's like, you know, we're, we're climbing up a mountain, but it's like full of rocks. And so for every two steps you take forward, one step you come back. This law of diminishing returns where like, you know, you can put in lots and lots and lots and lots of work, but once you get to that upper echelon, once you get closer to an ideal, um, more work has to be put in in order to make the problem go away or reach like a stage of perfection. And, and I don't think that that will ever happen because um, we're humans and we're not perfect. Um, but yeah, it can be, I think it can be frustrating and sometimes not feel like, like I want to put 100% of my effort like going, trolling through the internet and finding the people who are using the language that's not acceptable or, or calling people out, uh, whether it's in a, per, a one-on-one setting or, or um, but, but I wonder if that's not time wasted. It's like I've been in so many comment wars. There, you're still gonna find a comment. I've, 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 I've gone like hours just randomly, like two a.m. on a Wednesday, <laughs> going through comments. Like, just based on looking at comment section, I go down the rabbit hole, and then it's like, I think I wasted a little bit of time. I, I if I just left it at like one or two comments, I would have been okay with it. But the fact that I left like twenty, I'm like, oh, yeah. this might be a bit too yeah. much. And it's worthy to note, like, of course, I think that change is necessary, and of course, I think we have a ways to go. But also, the civil rights movement was, you know, the 1960s. That's what, um, six, yeah, 60 years ago, um, and that's about when my parents were growing up. Um, so they were, they've told me before how it's just, it used to be so much different. And so, of course, I think um, the older generation, they should still work to, you know, open up their minds. But also, the change that's happened like such a huge change from when they were growing up to now is still impressive and I I think that's at least a good thing. So also yeah with the structural racism and the institutional racism I think we're seeing now that Mr. Sanchez you were saying that we have gotten on a trend of better and so I think that the um, what is it called the first type of racism, which was the interpersonal racism, that kind of very obvious comment one, that's definitely, it's really not okay now, and we can point that out as not okay. But I think the other, the structural and the institutional, it's not as obvious. So I think that still persists, and a lot of people will say, one, that it doesn't even exist in the first place, but two, that it's gotten better, and maybe it has, but still I think that the fact that it's not as obvious just makes it harder for us to say that it, you know, that it's not better. It's really hard to make everyone agree to solve a problem when, like, a bunch of people don't believe the problem's there to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's like discovering they're not there. How do we pinpoint this, point it out, like, this is is a thing, and how to fix it without going over the top and end up, like, punishing someone for something they didn't do. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's weird that way. Yeah. So here's an open-ended question. So now that we've settled that it's gotten better, but there's still work to do on a personal level, on a school-wide level, and maybe even on a societal level, what are the next steps to decrease racism and decrease discrimination? Step out of your comfort zone a lot. Like, force yourself to, like, go into different groups, meet different people, and just kind of get rid of that, like, preconception that, like, oh, they're different than me, I won't be accepted. You can't really know until you try. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see a group of people you've never talked to before. You don't grow up around these types of people. Go and talk to them. It's like, I 
I've always, I've lived in Virginia, and my dad, he's his mom's from West Virginia, and his dad's from Saudi Arabia. So I go to West Virginia, and I see this is completely different. There's nothing anywhere and just a bunch of mountains. And I meet these people, and I'm like, oh, these are really nice people. And you just realize, oh, the country isn't just, there's people, they just sound different. They just have a little accent. And then just this winter break, I saw my aunts, my dad's uh, half-sisters, and one was 16 or 17, a few a little bit older. And I was talking to them, same thing, just people, just different. <laughs> they, this is when their accent's a little bit different, learning, learning English a little bit more, and it's like, I talk to them the same way I talk to anybody else. Shouldn't really have this conception that they're really all that different. It's just they'll sound a little bit different. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Elijah. I think that as we've been sharing these stories and as we've been talking about, you know, defining these different kinds of racism and talking about um, discrimination and what have you, like all of these issues that we're talking about have to do with like labeling a person from an objective standpoint but I think we should probably be spending more of our time getting to know the human being you're sitting next to, um, getting to the core of that matter, because, you know, as cliche as it is, like, it is true that, that as a human being, you have more in common with another human being than with any other kind of creature or object in the world. So, you know, we, we can get really bogged down in focusing on differences, but, um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this one when, when some of you shared your stories like Alex when when that person asked you about your hair you probably wouldn't have been as upset or or taken aback by the question if that person wasn't a complete stranger right Mm -hmm. so like if I get to know someone um, who is physically very different from me physically almost obviously from a different country or from a different ethnic background um, and I don't know that I'm perfect at doing this because the situations just don't arise as often because we get into these comfort zones and we tend to surround ourselves with people that look and act and think the same as we do. But but I wonder if, if approaching those relationships with humans from the perspective of like, let me get to know this human being and then like once I've developed that relationship, whether it's a friendship or, or, or a family bond or what have you, um, and then asking those questions like, you know, I, I've actually experienced this in the last couple of years when I moved to Charlottesville and I got to know some folks and, and they didn't know my ethnic background and then we had a conversation later about it. Like, it was so much less jarring after having known that person for any amount of time. I think after one or two conversations it would have been more comfortable than a perfect stranger coming up to you and asking, you know... Why are you like that? Yeah, <laughs> why do you look that way? Why, why is your hair that way? Why is your skin that way? What's your, why is your last name the way it is? Yeah. You know, you look, you, you look like you're white. It just it, it seems to me like those questions become less um, it, it, it at least personally it puts me on the defensive less when I know the person a little bit better. And I think that's that's almost a noble cause. Like yeah, get to know the person, like seek out those 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 people who are who are diverse and, and that doesn't mean you know like walk down the street and find the person who looks as different as you. But <laughs> engage with people in a in a normal fashion <laughs> as much as you can. Don't shy away from from folks who look different than you or sound different than you or, or act differently than you and, and find those common grounds and then start to explore the differences out of a genuine curiosity. Because like at that point, when you've developed a friendship, you know, if I go up to a stranger and ask them, you know, why do you look the way you do or why do you sound the way you do? That's a selfish reason. Right. I just want to know because I like knowing things or because, <laughs> you know, I, I want to add it to the to my, you know, lexicon of vocabulary, like, it's, it's selfish. It's all centered on me. 
But if I get to know the person and then that question is born out of a genuine interest, like taking an interest in that person's life, um, I think that's way, I think that's a way better result than, than just being that, that sort of self-centered um, way of asking the question. You know, I can, yeah. I can agree with that because your guard is like not up because like with a stranger, your guard's up. So I, yeah. I definitely agree with what you're saying with that. Uh, I was actually wondering, like, why do we think it's okay when a friend says it and then when a stranger does it, it's weird. And exactly what Alex and Mr. Sanchez were saying, it's like, you know, if you know this person, they're a friend, it's not coming out of, like, being selfish or with ill intention. you like, no, oh, they're just, they're just curious. They, it just it makes it seem a bit easier. And that's, learn something new. <laughs> yeah, you trust the person. Right. You know, what well, Mr. Sanchez, one of the things you, you said, um, Kind of brought this image to mind that, and Jenny mentioned earlier about the, the '60s civil rights movement. You know, there's a there's a famous picture of the uh, Memphis sanitation workers, and they're holding signs that says, "I am a man." You know, and and you know, we got got to the point in the '60s where, you know, people felt like they had to hold signs up to indicate that they were they were a human being, right? Um, so, have we made progress? I think we made progress, but I think the part about being a human is I think we all hold that sign. Like, I am a man. I am a woman, right? And that's, that's, that's who I am and what I look like and what I sound like and where I come from is really something that you can, we can kind of talk about that once we get to have a relationship with that man or that woman. And I think that's, that's, that's really important. So to your point, what do we do now is, I think from Louisa's standpoint, right, is we, we are intentional about, about this. We, we're, this is an intentional meeting that we're having today to have this conversation. You know, um, you're intentional with your friends and the conversations that you allow to happen and you don't let it happen. Um, you know, so, so and one of the things that I've seen in my years here is like people graduate from Louisa and they move away, okay? which is fantastic. We love when they come back, but they move away and they do something. You know? and, and is this a special place? I think so. Do we have our shortcomings? Absolutely, because every place has its shortcomings. Um, but when people leave here with, the, with an experience that um, you know, is, is on the whole um, a positive one, that can certainly impact and affect college campuses, work environments, military places, you know, like those type of things. So I think those are important things that, you know, kind of snowball out of here if we're doing this right. And that's really the question, if we're doing this right. And I'll even admit, like myself, um, there. I think everyone can just try to improve, even if, like, you are at the butt end of the racism. Of course, yeah, you're the victim, of course, but I think sometimes people will ask me questions and maybe I could handle it better. Um, like if someone asks me something that I find kind of insensitive, I might be like, why would you even ask that seriously? But I think it's, I need to look back at myself and say, like, they seriously didn't understand and they made the actual effort to ask me about it in a genuine way. So it's also necessary for myself to step back and say like, okay, well, this is a learning moment for both of us. So, um, are there, yeah, yeah. So are there any, like, I think it also a thing here is um, how do we teach uh, tolerance and not prejudice without seeming disingenuous? Because I think a lot of times, you know, um, maybe if we try and when we shove it down people's throat or people feel like the the uh, the thing of diversity is being shoved down their throat, how can we make it seem more gen- genuine? Honestly, just being a good person, like being open being willing to learn, you know, if you're used to something, get used to like being uncomfortable. So it's like, we just have to teach those things. It's not, it's not more of like teaching them to like everyone. It's teaching them to be 
open to everyone because there's going to be some people you're not going to like and it's not because of their race it's just because maybe like they're not yeah they're not nice so it's like you gotta learn how to not associate that and that's like with stereotypes like don't associate that with everyone associate that with that person you have to learn like the person not like you have to learn to like or dislike the person not their culture or not like because they don't represent everyone it's them so you gotta learn how to separate that I saw something really interesting it I'm on Instagram, Reddit, some social media, and I realized there was this group of friends who met all online. They were playing, like, Toontown, which is, like, pretty much Club Penguin, but back a little bit older. And they didn't know anything about each other. They're playing this game for years. Then they all meet up. One's from Lithuania, one's from Iraq, one's from America, one's from South America. They would have never known, but they just realized, oh, I vibe with this person. They're cool. And it's like, that's, like, the genuine, not really bringing it up because you're different. It's like, I like this person because I like this person, right. not because I'm like, ooh, they're different than me. Let me just add that to my friend list. <laughs> so I thought, I thought that was cool, just kind of like seeing these people genuinely liked each other, and they just so happened to be different. Not that they were different, so they like each other. I think it's a hard sell from a logical perspective because um, basically when in terms of like teaching tolerance or like with the this idea of diversity. Um, there is a cliche saying and something that gets said often in this country and in certain cities that our strength comes through our diversity. Mm-hmm. But if, in, in, if from a certain point of view, you can look at that logically and say, that doesn't make any sense. You know, like if I'm, if I'm gonna build a bridge, I want to, I, I, out of wood. I want all of the wooden pieces to be of you know uniform size and shape and and come from the same kind of tree and right. whatever. I'm not a builder, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> whatever, fill in the blank there. And so like, we can conjure these false analogies in our head that like, well, no, if I surround myself with people who look and talk and think like me, or or maybe I don't even think that. Maybe I just do it naturally because we have this idea in our head that like the people who look and sound and think closest to us are the best people for us to be around. I think it's a hard sell because, like, it is true that that having a dir- diverse group of friends is is beneficial. It gives you different points of view. It gives you better perspective. It makes you learn things that you otherwise wouldn't have learned. But that's that all involves getting out of your comfort zone. And to be completely honest, and I struggle with this in, in teaching music because the best way to reinforce music teaching is for someone to have a significant musical experience. Well. You can't have a significant musical experience if you don't have skills. You can't have a significant diversity experience if you don't have a at least a single person in your life who is different than you. So it's a hard sell because I could tell you all day long the benefits of you know embracing diversity, but until you actually experience that diversity, until you actually invest in someone's life who looks or thinks or feels differently than you, um, this isn't just for, for ideas of race either, um, but, but until you have those experiences, you can't fully understand it. It's sort of like learning something out of a textbook versus like from a hands-on perspective. Once you do it, once you experience it, it becomes part of you and it's, it's an intrinsic understanding versus like someone just telling me from the front of the classroom, kind of like what we're doing right here in this podcast. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm telling you all these things, but if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to 
if you don't feel like you have a, a diverse group of friends in terms of, of race or ethnic background or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Um, like, step out of your... We've said it multiple times, step out of your comfort zone because until you experience that, it's really hard to understand it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, one, the one thing that I guess I thought about this was, you know, Jenny used the word, you know, tolerate or tolerance, and, and I, I don't really know anybody who likes to be tolerated. I mean, yeah. it, some has yeah. some, some kind of, you know, but I do know people that like want to be known right to be known like mr sanchez was saying like like the effort to tolerate somebody i mean i wouldn't say how was your meeting with mr sanchez it was tolerable i mean <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't say that right? right but what i would endeavor to do is to 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 get to know him you know get to know alex get to know elijah get to know jenny get to know miss duke get to know them and then to alex's point you know maybe you find you have things in common okay that aren't the color of your skin or the sound of your voice or what and 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 that friendship you know, develops, um, and maybe find you don't have things in common, but that's okay too. You know, and, and not having things in common doesn't necessarily mean that it's an awful situation. It means you don't you don't have things in common. That's okay, um, and it's not a matter of tolerating someone who's different. It's really knowing people who are around you, and then accepting those what you find from that person, and then and then creating that type of of friendship and being intentional about doing that. So, um, yeah, good, good good conversation, good discussion. Something I like that Mr. Sanchez said was when he was saying, like, put yourself around other people, I kind of like that he was kind of, like, leaning towards, like, it's not just the color of your skin because y'all can have everything in common and not, and all y'all be, like, one's black, one's white, one's Asian, like, whatever. But it's, like, get around people who don't act like you so then you see, like, how other people act because, like, me... And one of my best friends that I've grown up with named James, like, he's white, I'm black. But, like, we kind of act the same. Like, we kind of grew up, like, the same level of everything. So it was like, I never really saw black or white. I just saw James. But we always had the same kind of mindset. So then when we get to, like, school and I see people who act different, it's not more like color. It's more like how how you react to how people act around you. So it's like, he's chill. And I've met people who do, like, stuff that you're not supposed to do and you get around that so it's like how do you act do you go and do what they're doing or do you like say no that's not for me and like you have to put yourself in those situations and then that's how you kind of build who you are well thank you so much I mean this topic there's always so much more to unpack Um, I think we're about out of time now but thank you so so much I think um, it's really important that people kind of hear that that you know it's important to look inside yourself first but it's the biggest thing is you your mind should be open to learning and to changing and to help change the mind of people around you to be more loving and to be more understanding of each other so yeah thank you so much thanks for asking the questions And uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. This is the last episode. So, yeah. Well done. (laughs) Thank you so much.